0: Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast.
1: Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie Rules and the Mighty Bombers.
0: From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you.
1: Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the the pod. pod. Welcome to episode 63 of the SNN People podcast, our round 16 review of the game against the Swans and our round 16 preview of the game, uh, round 17 preview against the game of the Brisbane Lions. So, Brendan, MCG, Saturday afternoon, didn't expect too much, went there and we
0: come home with a win. Oh, what a a great day to go to the football. It was actually not bad weather, Um, tad chilly, but not too bad, but... Yeah, certainly wasn't expecting to uh, to get the win, but I want to, before we start, Mark. I want to talk about yourself here. Um, you have a known hatred of the Swans, almost as much as I hate the Blues. So, how was it for you? This must have been this must have been your grand final day, really.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was definitely good. It's uh, to be honest, I, I can't tell you where my hatred of the Swans comes from. It's uh, n- nothing specific. I know we've lost a few close games against them in the past, but. I think it's just, they just have a certain smugness about them. Um, I just really don't like them and I, and I don't know where it comes from, but uh, whenever we beat them, like we did on Saturday, it's very satisfying. So um, thanks for asking. I
0: thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, let's get stuck into it.
1: <laughs> All right. So it was Essendon 15-5, to Sydney, 12 goals, 14, 86. It was really nice to be on the, correct side of the conversion uh, argument this week so Sydney essentially kicked themselves out of it and uh, we did the opposite which was good so quarter by quarter in that first quarter they did jump us five goals to 32 to Essendon two goals to 14 so they had the seven scoring shots to our four and at quarter time we were 18 points down and uh, to be honest it could have been more it didn't look great the body language um from some of the players there was even there was even little things there was a moment that i recall sam draper standing on the mark with his hands on his knees and bending over he he didn't even stand the mark properly like um and things like that really stood out to me and i was like oh here we go again we're on for another one of these days so quarter time 18 points down
0: wasn't feeling that great about the game (laughs) yeah but second quarter came out kicked Five goals straight for five scoring shots. Converted at 100%. Uh, I think we said, we said, mate, have this for the record books. We're never going to see this again. <laughs> and then the Swans only went at 33%, kicking the, the two goals four from six scoring shots. So um, we won the quarter by 14 points and trialed halftime by four. But that it's just... That's the classic opposite to what happens to us every week.' only so it's us that have had the more scoring shots and wasted the opportunity. so to, as you said to be on the right side of the uh, of the ledger this time is, um, has been <laughs> quite quite pleasing there so you know only four points behind at half time uh, nine scoring shots to the 13 but to convert at 77% is, uh, is fantastic and I guess that third quarter we started to kind of get the game on our terms a little bit there. And started to kind of get our running game going. That's been a big talking point in recent weeks. How has have the has the side been overcoached? Have we been trying too defensive minded? Have we kind of gone back to a previous game style with uncomplicated things? Get the, a lot of our run and carry going, and that that was kind of really the first time really kind of stood out there. And by half time I thought to myself, geez, you know, it hasn't gone as bad as I thought it was at quarter time, but. It's um, still a half to go, I guess. <laughs> Can we keep it up? And I think
1: at halftime we were just in shock. Like it, we were just before halftime we were we were actually leading, and then I think it was the second quarter where we had those two the red two time goals. goals. yeah. One one with about a second to go, and one was within that last minute. And um, we all know that we had red time goal, and uh, yeah. So given that halftime we we're only down by four points, and it felt like we were like. Eight or ten goals down for some reason, but we were back in it, and we kind of liked what we saw in the last sort of ten to fifteen minutes of
0: that quarter. Yeah, that's right. So in that in that third quarter, I think uh, my you know my theory mark yeah. we come out with something happens at halftime. We you know we sit on our hands and we don't do any good. We come out, we get smashed in the third quarter all the time. It happens even even in our wins this, wins this year, we've kind of got had a rough start to the third quarter, and whilst it wasn't as bad as what it could have been. It was certainly the same trend continued. Uh, Two goals one to two goals, eight, which you think, oh, that's not too bad. But we've got three scoring shots to 10, right? And the ball lived in our forward line for a good 15 minutes of that quarter, probably even more, where the Swans just essentially kicked themselves out of it. Like, if they had a kick straight, right, that's the game, right? They just did not – they let us off the hook. They couldn't put the ball and – I think that a lot of credit goes to our defenders for, to being able to withhold the, the the pressure that was coming their way, and that's probably where we talk about improvement in the side. That's potentially where the improvements come, because in weeks gone past, the kind of the floodgates would have burst open, and we would have would have been got, done by eight goals at, at three quarter time, and they would have run away with it in the last quarter. So, real big improvement in the in the side's performance in that third quarter. Yeah, and speaking of running away with it in the last quarter, we came
1: out and kicked six goals to. At the eight scoring shots to Sydney's three goals straight. So we went at 75%. They obviously went at 100%, but nonetheless, we still won the quarter by 20 points,
0: which meant that we won the game by nine points. Yeah, and conversion. We talk about it negatively all the time, Mark, but this is, this is a good illustration of why we bang on it so much there. In that second half, we had 11 scoring shots to the Swans 13. They went at 38%, and we went at 72 And really, that's the, uh, the tail of the tape. Conversion, who, who would have thunk it?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's it's very nice to be talking about it in a positive light um, for once, which is, which is a refreshing change. So some basic stats here, uh, 224 kicks to the Swans, 208. So we had the better of them there. 156 handballs to their 90. So we had a lot more handballs, which has not been uncommon for us this year to be a little bit handball happy. Um, I think in this game, uh, we handled fairly well under pressure, I, I thought, overall. So, um, disposals, we had 380 to their 298. So, um, what's that? Plus 82 handball, uh, plus 82 disposals uh, is, is a fair
0: differential. Yeah, that's huge. I guess, you know, it's been talked a lot about there, how we've had Sydney the second time this year and um, could we improve and how, I think, I think you'll agree, Mark, that game against the Swans in Ryan Nine was probably the lowest point in what was, a, what was a low low start to the season there. So I just thought we'd um take the opportunity before we got into the, the good, bad, agglies and get into a real analysis of the game, how the side has improved from that point. And I just wanted to give a, a shout-out to um, to a podcast there. It's uh, called Don the Stat. So this is a podcast, one of the hosts... Is a former Essendon Football Club analyst. His name's Jonathan Walsh and they um they focus on the bombers there and all the analytical stats side of it. So um I encourage people that are listening to this, give that maybe a listen see if you, if you like it there. So they put they got some really good analysis out. So in, in round nine, just so just game for game, we were negative sixty three possessions uh across the game. And here we're plus eighty two. So that's a, that's a massive swing. That's what 145 possession swing in just two games of football, you know? So I, I thought that was a huge, and that's similar swings could be like uncontested possessions, Mark. You mentioned how many we had. We had plus 66 in round 16, we're actually negative 53 in round nine. So that's another, another massive swing. We had, had positive swings in marks, uh, inside marks, inside 50. Tackles, so even even something like marks inside fifties. Whilst we had five less marks to the Swans in round sixteen, it was actually an improvement from the uh, thirteen less that we had in round nine. So pretty much in all areas of the ground, uh, in the major stats, hit outs, clearances, inside fifties, efficiency inside fifty, we've improved across the board. And I thought, you know, it's it's amazing how in six weeks of football we've managed to go from so poorly to actually beating what was in essence the same opposition with the same side. Yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, it's interesting when it gets broken down like that. No, I
1: um, have heard good things about that podcast. So yeah, it's on the stat um, for people listening that want to go have a look. Um, So I I guess in that, with with all that being said, and that we have improved between sort of that round 10 to 15 and one to nine,
0: um, what was our area for improvement that was highlighted? So yeah, so we've actually we're actually in rounds ten to fifteen, we're ninth in points conceded in the competition, which is actually an improvement of about three goals. So a three goal better side in terms of stopping the opposition scoring. We're actually first in the competition in tackle differential, so that is actually getting ten more tackles than our opponent per game, and we're fourth in the AFL for tackles inside fifty. Between rounds ten to fifteen, so I guess that was something that we really was obvious early in the year that we couldn't stop the opposition scoring, and that we didn't want to work defensively, and we didn't have kind of the hunt for the contest, and that was kind of obvious in the tackle numbers, and to be to show those stats, I think is um is really really good to see how how much we've improved in that area. Yep,
1: and. If we move on to now contested possession, so um, rounds one to nine, we were 16th in, in the competition um, for contested differential, minus 10 per game. And then since round 10, we're now ninth at, at plus one per game. So fast improvement there. Senate clearances, rounds one to nine, we were 13th um, at negative one per game. And uh, rounds 10 to 15, we're now ranked first at plus five per game. Um, so, yeah huge turnaround uh from first half of the year
0: to to where we sit over the last sort of three to four weeks yeah that's right so I guess we'll kind of get into the um the good bad uglys now we'll talk about the the game on the weekend there mark and um number one we'll go with uh intent on luke parker well what did you think of it good
1: yeah i think um difficult to put in a category i i popped it into the good on my side because uh, I, I was looking for it as were a lot of Essendon fans and straight away I saw Jake Stringer and I think it was, um, I think it might've been Will Snelling uh, target Luke Parker within the first minute or so of the game. So that for me got a tick that at least it was a, at least it was a focus and there, there was some definite intent to go after him. Um, having said that, did we execute it that well? No, uh, you know, we didn't see him get put down and um and uh that sort of thing, you know, not not promoting or provoking violence or anything like that, but just wanted to see I, I guess he earn a few kicks. Um so yes, it was good. Uh I guess at the end of the day we probably had the last laugh and and uh yeah, we went on to to beat him in probably the more relevant area. But um, yeah, I think as a general rule, it was good to see that uh, yeah, there was some improvement from where we sat. Obviously, last time we played Sydney, sort of six weeks ago, as you said, that was a pretty low point for the club. There was a lot of questions about what we stood for and that we didn't stand up for each other. And uh, I think we went we went some way to, um, I,
0: I guess, addressing that. Yeah, so I think Sammy Durham there kind of got him on the ground at one of the contests in our back. I want to kind of look to rough him up a little bit there. But, um, yeah, you know... We've had it as good and we'll maybe talk about it again in the bag because I think it was a a, a 50-50 there. So we'll kind of move on to what was, I think, a a real standout good there, and that was the young players. So we just mentioned Sammy Durham, uh, Benny Hobbs there, especially his last quarter, Jai Corwell, Nick Martin, and then, of course, uh, young Massimo uh, got the rising star. Uh, What did you make of of their their games, Mark? Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I think... We've, we've got on the run sheet
1: here that the young players were amongst the first to swing the momentum. And I think that that's really what I took from the game was that it was guys like Sam Durham and Massimo that were taking risk, having a bit of a go, being a bit physical with players. As you said, Durham got into Parker. Massimo obviously took risks. Hobbs really stood up in that last quarter. Caldwell was just his, his bullocking best. And um, Nick Martin has been good all year. He was really poised. 83% efficiency again, uh, in this game. So a big tick for, for a lot of young players on the day, which was uh, promising to see because we, we are quite a young list. And to see those guys sort of take a step up in a game against good opposition was, um,
0: was really encouraging. Yeah, so I, I'd highlight Durham's endeavour and attack on the ball. I thought there was a number of times where he took the game on, especially in that second quarter there. He was kind of maybe the spark that we needed there. Uh, managed to kick a goal himself. Uh, Benny Hobbs in that last quarter, I thought he was huge there, kicked a the goal early in the game. But I think he got to a lot of centre bounces, which is something I think we've been calling for, Mark, and it's really, really showed what what he can do there um, as a kind of under the nose of the Ruffman kind of rover. And then Massimo uh, down at half back there. He's uh, he's kicking, especially early, I think really set us up and um, he yeah, kind of got... Got, broke the game open for us a little bit there, and I think um was a worthy winner of the of the rising star this week. Yeah, well said. and uh, I guess moving on from um some less
1: experienced players to, uh our captain and vice captain dyson heppel and zach Merritt, both had really good um games and and really led from the front so heppel had the 25 disposals at 84 efficiency kicked a goal himself which everyone got around him which was really good to see and something that we've lacked um in the first half of the year zach Merritt had 24 disposals at 70 percent efficiency had the six tackles, and uh, speaking of goals, you kicked three of the goals uh, of this off the weekend were, were off his boots. So um, very damaging uh, when he can add that sort of uh, impact to his repertoire. So really good games from
0: Heppel and Merritt. Yeah, and it's been it's been really good for, like you said, for Merritt to hit the scoreboard a bit more and kind of get more bang bang for his buck or for his disposal. And I think Heppel, especially in recent weeks, I think with the introduction of Massimo. Uh, down back there, that they've um maybe pushed him back up onto a wing, maybe you know, and a role is probably a little bit, bit more naturally suited to. We've had a bit more experience across his career, and I think in in probably the past month of football, there he's um been one of their better players consistently. Heppel, and especially early in games, you mentioned that goal, but just his his disposal and calming calming the boys down early, I think he's been um it's been pretty good. So we will move on to uh, the guy who was um had pretty much five good minutes of football for the whole day. Uh, but really, when you're a match winner, that's all you need. And then it's uh, Jakey Stringer there. So had the 17 disposals, but really it was those two goals and a couple inside 50s uh, late that are really um really won us the game, kind of got the momentum going our way. And um, that uh, that first one there, Mark, where he's, he's kicked a running banana from 45, it's uh, got to be a pretty good player to do something like that. Yeah, that was
1: super impressive. Um, yeah, sort of banana checkside style goal, like you said, from a long distance. You don't see that too often. And then uh, pretty calm under pressure for the second one as well. And he, he doesn't want a celebration, Jakey, and it's it gets everyone up and about, which is good. So, as you said, probably only played five good minutes. But I guess that's, that's why it's so important that we have a player like that in the side who, you know, opposition um, teams are going to struggle to keep down for, for the full... Uh, for the full game and, you know, you can't sleep up for five minutes. There's probably other players in our team that, um, you know, are not capable of, of doing that. They just don't have that that expected to be able to do that. So that, that's it just proves why
0: string is so important to have in our side, even if he only plays five good minutes. Yeah, that's right. So we'll move on to to a guy which I think he's probably had a, his br- a potential breakout game or coming-of-age game, and that's uh, BZT, Brandon Zirk Thatcher there. And he came in, he had 18 disposals, went at, went at 84%. But I think impressively, he had the, the nine marks and seven rebounds there. He um, was wearing the long sleeves. Which is really good to see. I think some blokes look fantastic in the long sleeves. And I think Zerk has that about him there. But I think he looked like he's put on a bit of size. He's had some pretty good form at VFL level this year. And, you know, sometimes bigger blokes, especially defenders, take time. So hopefully, Mark, um, he can continue this form and become a reliable best-18 best, best 18 player for us. Because I thought his game on the weekend uh, when he was – you know, on some pretty good players. I think he was on Buddy at times, but also uh, played on Reed and on uh, Logan McDonald. I thought he was pretty influential.
1: Yeah, re- really happy for Zerky. Um The the only way I can really describe it is just confidence. He looked confident. He was happy to fly and intercept and and take the mark as well when it was time. And um, one moment really stuck out for me, which was late in the game. We're under a fair bit of pressure. The margin was tight. I can't remember whether we were up or down at that stage. I think we might have been up, and it was late in the game. and Uh, He got the ball, intercepted the ball um, in play, uh, picked it up off the ground. And I think Buddy went one way. There was another player that went another. And Zerk just did a U-turn and basically sold him some candy and went back up the middle of the ground. And um, that was really a sign that he was playing confident and was backing himself in. And we've been waiting a while for him to get that opportunity to do that. And hopefully that's a sign
0: of things to come. Yeah, and then we'll just we'll quickly just touch on a couple of bikes and playing some some good 40 for us in recent weeks from the half back line in Mason Redman, twenty-two disposals, sixty-four percent efficiency, kicked the kicked the big long goal there, had the six score involvements and seven marks, and then Nick Hind, uh, twenty-five disposals, uh, went at eighty percent efficiency, seven marks, uh, eight score involvements, and then kicked the sealer there, which was um a really important nice crafty goal.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, something else that was nice is that uh, we said obviously that the first quarter was a little bit, uh, a little bit grim looking, and we were able to work our way back in into the game after that, which is not something we've been able to do, um, you know, this season specifically. So uh, I guess that meant that we won it inside and we won it outside, and we won the contested ball, and that showed on the stat sheet. We had the better of the contested possessions. Uh, we had more, way more uncontested possessions as well. Uh, way more effective disposals and our disposal efficiency was uh, yeah percent better than what the swans was and um, that would that
0: is the reason why we were able to get back into this game and then I think the midfield marks I thought especially the the onboard brigade of Parashiel and Draper I thought they had pretty good games especially looking at like clearances there so we had 38 clearances to the swans uh, 30. Right. And especially we're normally pretty dominant in the centre clearances there, but the stoppage clearances, we were plus ten uh, on the swans, and that's normally an area where we, we kind of um we lose ground to the opposition. I think that really gives the opposition an advantage is the stoppages around the ground. So so Darcy only had the twenty-one disposals, but one eighty one percent, which is some is a big thing for him, had the five clearances. Dylan Shield, twenty disposals, seventy-five percent, six clearances, and Sam Draper, um only the eight disposals, uh, but had four clearances there. So, and I thought just on Shield, I thought he, a key clearance was his early on, which led to the Heppel goal, and then Parrish. I think he really stood up and took a took a strong contested mark, which then uh, I think led to the to the kick inside fifty to the Redmond goal. So, two pretty big moments there where they kind of uh, set other players up to um, kick goals and get us going forward.
1: Yeah, and uh, we just focused on another stat here, which is the marking um, on the day. So we had 114 marks there, 95. Six contested marks there, 11. And uh, 11 marks inside 50 to their 16. So um, although they beat us in a couple of stats there, the overall marks we were, we were well ahead by nearly 20. So um, Jake Kelly had 13 marks. BZT had nine. Heppel and Ridley had eight apiece. And uh, Wright, Redmond, Hind and Durham had seven. Um, so I guess... If you're marking the ball, it means you're kind of being able to control play a little bit more. You can slow things down when you need to. You've got a bit more time to make decisions. And I think that really helped us because uh, I think through this year, we haven't been the most skillful or efficient team-wise. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, by taking more marks, we've been able to to execute a little bit better in this game and,
0: and uh, the results shown that. Yeah, just touching on it again, just because it's such a <laughs> a bugbear of ours. There, Mark, is conversion. Uh, forty nine inside fifties, twenty scoring shots, ninety nine score involvements, and that's all great. But if you don't convert, it's meaningless. To go at seventy five percent was the absolute key for that. So we've had less scoring shots. What eight less scoring? Eight less inside fifties. Sorry, six less scoring shots. Right, but Swans win at forty six and we won by nine points. So really, if they convert anywhere near an acceptable rate, uh, we lose this goal probably by three to six goals. So um, conversion is really, really important, and long may it continue. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll move on to the bad category
1: and go through this a bit quickly now. So um, Andy Phillips was the many sub. Not really sure what that was about. It It sort of came as a bit of a surprise to me. It didn't feel like the right Selection. I feel like maybe there was other players that could have been a better sub. Thankfully, we didn't need to use him on the day, but I just sort of questioned if, you know, a 175 centimetre back pocket or forward pocket or something like that went down and we needed to bring on a secondary ruckman. I think that might have really hurt us structure-wise. So, yeah, just a bit of an odd decision. But anyway, uh, didn't need him, so all good. And we'll see who the mini-sub is
0: this week. (laughs) I talked about it. Kind of a little bit earlier there, but just the first and third quarters there, um, just unable to move the ball. I think the maybe the mids kind of fell into some bad habits and the defenders were under a lot of pressure and they couldn't clear the zone. And I know it's kind of – it's it's hard to blame it all on the midfield all the time, but the defenders are under pressure and they need help, right? And the, the main way you can help them is by stopping the ball getting in there or when the ball does get in there, it's off sloppy entries. And then conversely, when you're, when you're a forward and our side, maybe a bit of feast or famine there, they're, just, they're kind of out of the play for 20 minutes because it's not, it's not getting down there. So then they go down there in search of the ball, help the back line out. Then all of a sudden, when you do win the ball, you've got no one to kick to because everyone's sagged back into the back line and you're kind of kicking to out numbers. And then that just – it's a cycle that's a vicious cycle that repeats where they just keep getting more inside 50s, more intercepts, more inside 50s because – The the structure of the side's been lost a little bit. I'll just run through a couple
1: more bads here. So, the tackle count, um, it was 48 tackles to us to their 60. They had 16 tackles inside their forward 50. We only had nine. So, I think there's a little bit more work that we can do there with uh, tackling, especially inside forward 50. We had 14 players that had uh, less than three tackles. So, some room for improvement there to, to boost that number up and um, really keep piling on that pressure. Uh, the other one here, oh, I don't like to bag the umpires. It's a sensitive topic and they do a, a bit of a thankless job and um, and get a pretty rough, rough run of it uh, from some fans. But I thought this game was over umpired a little bit in general. 47 free kicks paid for the whole game. I don't think it favoured one team or the other either way. So, so that was good. It was more just that there was probably examples where the play could have just been let go. And maybe that's something the AFL can look at. They're, they're looking at crowd numbers and why people aren't turning up to games. And I think the rule changes are difficult for both umpires and fans because the umpires have to adjust. You know, even as early as recent as last week, you know, they've changed the interpretation of the endangered zone rule after Guelphie got pinned for it in, in the uh, West Coast game. And, you know, how many other sports in the world uh, they'll be changing rules mid-season. Like uh, it's hard enough for the umpires to to uh, officiate as it is now, and then same as for fans. How you know, people who are watching week to week. I think AFL maybe just ha- could have a look at that. Just you know, try and calm things down a bit and just gain some more consistency, and that might result in some better viewing, uh, I guess, for for everyone. So um, I'll <laughs> let you finish off with the last uh, in the bad category here. I know this is something close to your heart, Brendan. <laughs> Thank you. So you
0: mentioned earlier, Mark, about uh, the way we uh, looked at Luke Parker early and throughout the game and you know, he had it as good and it was kind of an reaction, yeah, we kind of we went alright, but I oh, jeez, I would have loved for someone to to rudely make a physical statement about it. Right. Uh, and know, it's kind of how you've had it in the good, I've had it in the bad. It's kind of a bit bit hoarse, of course, is how you view these view these things there. But I think yeah, what, what he did was something that really really shocked the football world, really, can, when you talk about how much airplay got afterwards, there and for us not, for us to have the opportunity to play them so quickly afterwards, for us, someone not to take a physical stand, um, I was a little bit disappointed. But I, I can understand all the rationales for it. And yes, we don't want violence on the field, but you know, I, I, I would have liked some, just for him to know we're around a little bit more in a more physical way. So I think you know, if, there's probably three opportunities to the club. Goal four, really. He could it? Someone could have done something at the first bounce, but he, okay, maybe that's a bit more premeditated. You don't want to do that. When Sammy Durham kind of got a little bit in a scruff, uh, he wasn't really supported with that. There was players in there. It would have been great if people had a rushed over there and really supported him there. I think when Heppel and when he kicked that goal as the captain, he ran inside fifty. It would have been great as the captain of here we had a run over to Park and really got stuck into his face. I'm thinking, you know, like there's a great good example. Of that, I think is the O three grand final, when Scotty Burns comes, he knocks over Voss. Voss gets up, gets the handball out, and they kick the goal, and Voss just jumps up and gets in Scotty Burns' face. Doesn't, Isn't, you know, no punching or bumping, but he's just standing over him, being a real demonstrative character, and kind of, that really set the, the standard in that game. And I guess the real one I would have loved to see is when Hine kicked that last goal, the sealer, the us the game. So we had 41 seconds to go. We were nine points up, so there was no chance of a loss. Hine actually got their ball because Parker pan kicked across his shoulder in a contest and it bounced and fell in Hine's lap. So it would have been great. You know, fair enough, they were excited. They celebrated. It would have been great if they had just charged en masse over to Parker and really got stuck into him. We'd not, it really stood up at the end of the game, you know, all got into him, push and shove, and... Made a real big show of it. I would, have, I would have really like that, but I'm maybe a bit old school than some others. <laughs>
1: no, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's. I guess, uh, yeah, interesting. You said as we've both added in different categories, but I, I can, I can agree and acknowledge what you're saying there. Um, the, the, We could have made some more of it. So we'll move on to the ugly category here. So Archie Perkins done a calf injury late last week. I think it was on Thursday at training. So he's tipped to miss at least a couple of weeks. So that's unfortunate because he was having a good year and um, getting some good midfield minutes as well uh, in recent times. But unfortunately,
0: Archie Perkins is going to be out for a little bit. Yep. And then our standard uh, disposal efficiency list of 70%. Um, We had a smaller number this week. So we had Durham, Stringer, Hobbs, Langford, Jones and Draper. Um, Funnily enough, as we'll get on in our Heath hockey medal vote soon, uh, we had a number of those who were actually actually in our best. So um, uh, hard to see. But I I guess with Sam Draper, he's had a rough probably month really there, Mark. And to only go at 25% across the four quarters today and to only have two effective disposals for the match, I think that's um, an area of his he, he certainly has to work on. Obviously, you're not asking for a lot out of a Rachman, you know, disposals and all that isn't key, but 20 or 25%, I think that, that is such a low number that, that that is something that really needs to be focused upon. Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, so we'll move on to the Heath Hockey medal, as you said. I'll quickly go through my votes. Five votes I gave to Massimo D'Ambrosio, who uh, maybe that's controversial that I've given him best on the ground, but just to put it in context, I guess um, I just saw, you know, a guy in his third game. Um, standing up and doing what he did on, on a big stage at the MCG. Um, so that's why I went that. Four votes went to Zach Merritt, three to BZT, two to Nick Kind, and one to Sammy Durham.
0: So I went five to Merritt, four to D'Ambrosio, three to Durham, two to Zerk Thatcher and one to the captain, Dyson Heppel.
1: Okay, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with the VFL update. <music> Weekend and unfortunately we had a loss. So it was estimated five goals nine thirty nine to the Swans fourteen goals fourteen ninety eight. That was played at Windy Hill. Um, just too strong for us, uh, basically on the day, Brendan. They just were a bit more polished and the Bulls sort of spent a fair bit of time in their forward half and uh, they kind of just overwhelmed us in the end. I think is is kind of the, the high level summary.
0: Yeah, that's right. They had a. We only had the twelve AFL listed players this week, and I think they had a. They've got a pretty healthy injury list at the moment there, Swan. So they had lots of players there. They played in especially a, a tall forward line there. I think Joel Amati, uh Harry McLean, Hayden McLean, sorry, and they had both Peter Adams and Callum Sinclair as pig All of them are full, you know, 195 centimetre plus fully developed men. So um along with their midfield, they got it in their heap. So they just smashed us around the ball, really. We had 186 kicks to their 249... And 129 handballs to their 154, so they've easily had you know close to over 100 more possessions than we've had. They've double our marks. We've got 155 marks to their 110. They've, despite having more of the ball, they've beaten us by 12 in the tackles, uh, beaten us in the hitouts, 59 inside 50s uh, to our 41, and they, yeah, just as you said, <laughs> they've just beat us. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so we'll go through the uh, 12 AFL-listed players that played. So Nick Bryan had the 11 disposals, 4 marks, 2 tackles, and 26 hitouts. Alistair Lord had the 7 disposals, 2 marks, and 2 tackles. Zach Reid had the 12 disposals, 2 marks. Josh Ayer uh, continued on with some good form. He had 15 disposals, 5 marks, and 1 tackle. So he's finding a bit more of the footy, which is good for young Josh. Uh, Brayden Ham had the 14 disposals and a couple of marks. Garrett McDonough had fourteen disposals, one mark, and one tackle.
0: Yeah, and so Cody Brand, uh, sixteen disposals and three marks. Paddy Voss, six disposals, five tackles, and one behind. Keen McBride, uh, five disposals, two marks, and seven hitouts. Alec Waterman, ten disposals, one goal, one three tackles. Jai Menzies, uh, eight disposals, one behind, and Tom Hurd, seventeen disposals. I guess you mentioned Josh Air there, Mark. I think. The move of him into the back line has probably really freed him up there, uh, has seen him get a lot more of the ball and actually be able to uh, demonstrate the athletic traits that he's got. And um, he can potentially become, I think, within time and development in the back line, uh, an AFL player for us there. And um, Might have to give him a couple of years like we've given BZT there. But, um, yeah, I definitely think he's a player there. Uh, of course... Uh, Zach Reed, is, he's, I think, he's going to be a player. Nick Bryan's going to be a player. Um, yeah, I think it's just a just a tough day for everyone. But you're yeah, interesting to see the really inexperienced side there. Not a lot of big senior bodies to um, especially in that midfield there. And we kind of really had to rely on kind of the VFL players in the midfield. So Stefan Rezinak with twenty four disposals and two goals. Uh, Joel Fitzgerald nineteen disposals. Brad Bernacki twenty one disposals, and then. Young Sam Conforti with 14 and two goals himself, but he's only a, a smaller player there. So, um, yeah, a lot of the heavy lifting has been happening in the VFL. So no Kane Baldwin, no Aaron Francis, no Aaron Phillips played in this side. And uh, you could see with those three guys, they've all got three big bodies and uh, we kind of sorely missed that. So just wanted to go on a bit of a player spotlight there, Mark. And I think the player for this week is, is Aaron Francis. Yeah, so Aaron's played the four AFL games this year. Round two against Brisbane, he had the 11 disposals.
1: Round eight against Hawthorne, he had the nine disposals. Kicked a couple of goals as well. Round, sorry, round eight against Hawthorne. Round nine against Sydney, he had four disposals and kicked the one goal. Then round 10 against Richmond in the Dreamtime game, he had just the four disposals and kicked another goal. So his AFL average this year across those four games is seven disposals, four marks, one goal. And uh, one and a half tackles. He's played five VFL games. So round three versus Frankston, which he kicked three goals. Three round four against Port Melbourne, uh, he had thirteen disposals, kicked a goal. Round tw- uh, round ten against Coburg, he had thirteen disposals, kicked two goals. Third, round thirteen against Sandringham, he had six disposals. Round fourteen against Williamstown, he had sixteen disposals. So his VFL averages are, are obviously a bit better. Twelve disposals, uh, a bit over a goal a game. Uh, averages the five marks, one and a half tackles. Um, so I guess what we may be highlighting is Aaron at the start of the year got himself really fit, had a really big preseason, did a lot of work on his own um, away from the club as well, uh, got himself in really good shape. Unfortunately, copped an injury heading into the year, which... Um, stopped him from being able to play at the start of the year and then since then has had a bit of an interrupted run in and, in and out of the AFL side and hasn't really been able to find his groove there when playing forward. So I guess questions from us is where is Aaron right now? We haven't seen him play in a couple of weeks and you know is he, is he injured or is he just taking some time away? Has he been a carryover emergency or something to that effect? Um, just be good to know where he's at and he's doing okay and uh, I guess you know do we do we try and shake it up a bit for, for Aaron and send him back to the defence uh, position where
0: he's, you know, most natural? Yeah, so those last games against Sandra Hammond-Willie, I think he did that That move was starting to be made, uh, moving that into the back line there, but um, yeah, just, just wanting to maybe get an update on how Aaron's going um, Yeah, and where, where they see him going forward. I believe he's out of contract at the end of the year. Um, he's clearly a super talented player, but He's now into his sixth, seventh year at, of, of AFL football. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of make or break for him. I know last year we gave Tommy Cutler an opportunity in the AFL side and he managed to play himself into another contract. But having said that, he probably deserved that opportunity because he was playing consistent football. And, you know, it's hard being the carryover emergency when it's kind of like you're close enough to be getting a game, but you, but you don't. So you make, you miss a week of football to be able to press your case. So and you know, he could have been a really especially playing down back, we mentioned before with the Swans big key forwards, he could have he could have done a job on someone there. And um, yeah, with Hample moving out of the back line there, you know, could 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 he, Francis, get a game there? Could is there an opportunity to say, look, I think maybe long term there's probably maybe more future in than Aaron Francis, than what there is in Tom Cutler. So we prioritise his performance, uh, his game time over Cutler just to see what he's got. I, I don't know. I just I just feel... this. I think it, it's been his whole career, really. It's been almost a tease that there's so much talent in there. There's a player wanting to get out. We've just got to unlock it. And maybe, unfortunately for Aaron, it doesn't happen with us or maybe it doesn't happen at all. But, yeah, I just... I want to see him do well. We've invested, you know, he's one one of my favourites that I, I've had over the journey there, and obviously we all know his story there, which makes you kind of maybe root for him a little bit more. But yeah, I just yeah like to see him just know where he's at, see him play some good football. Yeah, well said. He's um he's
1: definitely a player who I would argue on the list is is nearly one of the most naturally gifted and talented players on on his day. He's, you know. We've only seen it in, in a small sample size, but when we have seen it, he's able to do things and make decisions and um, and got certain skills that some other people can't learn and just don't have. And, and he's got that. So as you said, it'd be good to unlock that and see it, um, hopefully in a red and black Guernsey and hopefully see it at all. So yeah, we'll hopefully uh, get to see that soon from Aaron Francis. We'll move on to Don's DNA now and uh, into coteries this week is the topic which is fitting because we'll start with the first one which is the oldest of the coteries in Essendon which is the Essendonian so officially formed in 1960 and this year celebrating 60 years um, of existence so uh, I guess the key pillars of of their um, their background is loyalty, passion, commitment, uh, camaraderie and belonging so uh they, they do all that while providing support on and off the field for the Essendon Footy Club and uh, and the players who stand for the red and black jumper. So I, I guess as an intro, a, a coterie is essentially just a, a group of people uh, who come together in support of something that they all have a common interest in. So in this case, sport or football club. So um, all clubs have coteries, or most clubs have coteries, and. Uh, Older clubs like ourselves have have multiple. So we'll continue on with Essendonians uh, being the biggest, largest and most powerful one that we have. Um, as a member of that coterie, you kind of get unique opportunities and, and a bit of insight into the inner sanctum and workings of a footy club, which you might not see otherwise. So what does that mean? That means that you get um, you know premium entertainment on match day. So past players come in, past coaches, uh, well-known people from the club, um, personalities and the like and from other clubs as well um, to talk about history stories or even current day things so coaching staff and players um, might come in to address on, on match day you know while you're having a meal um, often that's in a marquee game you know it might be at the Anzac day game or dream time um, you know big game against Carlton and the like um, those sort of things get get a lot of priority um, they also if you get uh, the ability to bring guests, family, friends, colleagues, and that as well in, into these events. So um, it's as much as a an experience into the inner sanctum of the Essendon Footy Club as it is like a networking opportunity for some people as well. So um, it's it's kind of it's very unique in, in that respect. Um, so there's yearly functions, dinners, uh, lunches, all that sort of stuff. So um, plenty of opportunity to to spend time with with other Essendon people. Essendonians' full membership is a, a cost of $8,850. So it's um, it's not exactly a, a cheap exercise, but this is very specific to people who want to be uh, completely engulfed by the Essendon footy club and, and experience all those things that not everyone else gets to see. There are cheaper options for junior memberships and student memberships as well. So I'll we'll move on to the Essendon women's network, which uh, was established in 1997, and we covered... Um, the Women's Network in a bit more detail on another segment of Don's DNA earlier this year. So if you go back and listen to that episode, there's a bit more detail. But just to recap, um, they obviously actively support the involvement of all women within the footy club and um, and within the footy community in general as well. So uh, I guess some of the, the key things that they do is that they have a, an annual award. Um, there's three categories. There's the Football Women of the Year, which is uh, recognised by the AFL as well and, and is a very well-respected award, the Emerging Leader Award and the Community Award. And they host a, um, a huge event, uh, which is the Grand Final Comedy Debate, which is on the Thursday of the Grand Final Week and about a 1,000 people go to that um, when it's on. So tickets sell out pretty quick for that. So there's an email link on the club's website for people who want to get involved with the Essendon Women's Network. We'll move on to Collin Street Doms. So this is, uh, I guess, a group of business people who meet sort of four to five times a year. Collins Street, obviously, prominent business district in Melbourne. Um, their purpose is to extend the spirit and culture of, of the Essendon Footy Club to business supporters and their guests um, in, in that kind of area. Um, they have functions as well, similar to the Essendonians, which include current and past players, coaches, staff, and the like. Um, this one's a bit different where invitation... Uh, only is how you get a membership, so can't necessarily just uh, apply and pay your money. It's um, you kind of got to be in that field and and be invited into that into that uh inner sanctum of the Collins Street Dons. We we'll move on to the Dick Reynolds Club, which is also known as the Essendon Football Club Past Players and Officials Association. Pretty self-explanatory. Um, it obviously seeks to look after the best interest of all the past players and officials at the Footy Club, dating all the way back to its inception. Um, and uh and then up to I think most recently is nineteen ninety two, there's obviously a rolling uh intake of people that become eligible. So um their website's actually really good. David Collins is the president looks after um uh this this uh coterie. Um any individual can become a member. You don't have to be a past player, you can become an associate for fifty-five dollars a year. And I'd uh, encourage everyone to go on the website, they have some excellent content and photos, um, past player profiles. You can click on photos from black and white days, premierships, and and all the info that goes with that. So some really good um, free uh, info and history available on that. They do a great job of, of maintaining the history of the footy club. The Diamond Don supporter group is reserved for members with 60 plus years of membership. Me and you, not quite at that yet, Brendan, but uh, hopefully one day we become Diamond Dons and we've, Witnessing our uh, 36th premiership or something after we just go on an absolute run, that'd be nice. Um, moving on to some of the networking kind of groups. So Essendon Executive Group is for business owners and and um, corporate type setup um, uh, individuals. The Sydney Bombers, uh, Sydney based executive uh, slash corporate people. The Band of Bombers is a group specific to uh, so property and construction industry um, Essendon people. The Law Dons is pretty obvious as well for those working in law. Um, and then the Bomber Squad is obviously the cheer squad. They're the really dedicated and great people that sit behind the goals and cheer the boys on uh, and the girls on every week. Interstate groups, we've mentioned last week uh, the WA Bombers. There's also the SA Bombers, the Queensland Bombers, the New South Wales Bombers and the Tassie Bombers. So some good good uh, interstate um, support. We've witnessed that last year when there was games in Tassie uh, and in WA. The Purple Bombers, uh, which looks to um, address diversity and inclusion and have a group specific uh, to promoting that. And then regional groups, Ballarat, Bendigo, Warrnambool, Alburudunga, et cetera. So in summary, um, there's some major coteries like um, the Essendonians that have been around for 60 years. There's other very established ones like the the Mm Essendon women's network, Colin Street, Dons, and then uh, filters all the way down to things that you can be involved in, in even making the banner as part of the the bomber squads. So... A lot of information on the club's website, and um, for anyone looking to get involved uh, outside of just attending the games, uh, plenty to plenty to um, research and and uh, approach people and get involved there. So that does us for Don's DNA this week. So now we will move on to the uh, Bombers numbers segment, and this week, Brennan, you're looking at the number sixteen Guernsey and the number thirty nine Guernsey. So if you could kick us off, please, with number
0: sixteen Percy Ogden. So Percy played for the Bombers in the early part of the 20th century, so from uh, 1910 to 1921, so either side of the First World War. So he played 161 games and kicked the 91 goals. Um, He was one of the primary Rovers of the side and one of the better Rovers in the competition. So he played in the 1911 premiership as well as the 1912 back-to-back side. Uh, and then also played in the, um, I think, in the 1921 uh, Premiership as well. So he played multiple times for Victoria. So I think he played in the 12, 13, 14, 19, 20 and 21 uh, Carnival sides. And uh, was also captain and captain club, captain coach of the club in, uh, in 1920 and 21. Next up here is Bruce Anderson. So Bruce played f- from 1931 to 1937. Uh, played the 97 games, kicked the one goal. Played primarily as a defender, uh, either at halfback or centre halfback, and also um, played for Victoria. Paul Hamilton is the next player. So a bit more of a, a bit more of a modern player there. We're jumping from the 1930s to the to the late 80s, early 90s. So he played from 86 to to 92, so right in between the two pretty successful eras there for the Bombers there. Played the 105 games, seven goals, a bit of a, a, back, sposh, a back pocket specialist player. Uh, played in the 1990 grand final against Collingwood um, and I think also came and was uh, had the role as uh, head of football at the football club for a while there in the, in the mid-2000s. Next up is one that we all know and love
1: is Paul Barnard.
0: Yeah, so Paul played for the Bombers from '96 to 2003, for the uh, the 140 games and the 75 goals. Uh, I think we all know Paul's story there. He come come to Essendon from Hawthorne there. He was part of the part of the Paul Salmon trade that also got us um Sean Wellman. So uh, Wellman and Barnard two pretty handy players, especially come around 2000 time was a was a fierce, tough player. Uh, could play multiple roles, halfback on a wing. I know um, a lot of the players there, and I know James Hurd himself credits uh, Paul for playing uh, a critical role and actually playing on Hurdy's man and allowing Hurdy to be the, the great player that he was in the offensive threat and the wing games of off his own boot. And it's because uh, Barnard was playing on two plays, his own and Hurdy's. So um, a big credit to Paul in what was a... Pretty successful area for the Bombers, and I know Mark. We often say, "Geez, how great would it be if we had a uh, someone with the physicality of uh, of Paul Barnard in the side?" There, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, someone like Luke Parker wouldn't be appreciative of uh, of Barnard's uh, playing style.
1: Definitely, and uh, the current player wearing the number 16 guernsey is Archie Perkins. What do you reckon?
0: Do you reckon we might see Archie in one of these lists one day? Oh, well, let's let's hope let's hope we he can be like a. Uh, be like Barnard there, and we're talking about a premiership player there because um, I think well, I think we've discussed this many. I think uh, Archie has the potential to be a uh, pretty special player for us, and he might actually end up uh, being uh, one of their best players for uh, for a fair while yet. Yeah, definitely uh, number 39,
1: Guernsey. Let's kick it off with Pat Wellington.
0: So Pat played the 58 games from 1972 to 1976, and kicked um, a 42 goals. So pretty good record there, almost. Um, a goal a game. Uh, the next up is David Johnston. So he played for the Bombers from 87 to 92 for the 41 game. So kind of like uh, Paul Hamilton, squeezed in between two pretty strong periods there. Um, and then uh, post Essendon went on to play uh, Fitzroy. And the last player here we have for the number
1: 39, Guernsey, is one that we really adore here on the podcast is uh, Heath Hocking.
0: Yes, uh, Heath played the uh, the 126 games, kicked the 45 goals to the Bombers in a 12-year career from 2007, to 2017. Um, I think, as, as we all know, we've got the uh, our Player of the Year Award is named after Heath. So you mentioned we love him. We certainly do. Uh, a very versatile player. Could play forward, back. Could play as a ball-winning midfielder. Also as a tagger. Uh, was hard, tough. Uh, always stood up for his teammates, Uh, finished second in the 2010 Crichton medal, Uh, was fifth in the 2011 Crichton. I think he was also uh, vice-captain under Joe Watson there. He's a life member of the football club. And that's just what he did at AFL level, Mark. He also obviously played a lot of VFL football post his uh, AFL retirement. Uh, I believe he was the captain of the VFL side and also won a VFL uh, uh, best and fairest. Uh, and then was part of the coaching uh, group in the James Hurt Academy. And we talked earlier about players like Josh here and Cody Brand. They, they made their way onto the scene with this due to the efforts that, that Hay-Hocken put in uh, to helping their careers as Academy players there. So uh, certainly a player that you and I both admired uh, and we'd both love to have someone like him in the side. And then hopefully we're talking about doing this review, Mark, about um, wanting to bring in more people that can help the club and, the coaching group going forward, I, you know, I don't think we'd be able to find someone who bleeds red and black more than Heath Hocking and has, would have something to offer in terms of helping young players become better footballers.
1: Definitely. And um, speaking of young players, the current number 39 Guernsey holder is Patrick Vost. And for anyone that um, didn't watch the BFL game on the weekend, I encourage you to watch just the first minute and have a look at the tackle that he, uh, that he put on. Uh, in that opening minute, he's uh, yeah he's, he's he's a very hard player, and um, hopefully if he can start finding more of the ball, he could be a very dangerous
0: uh, player and very versatile player for us into the future. Yeah, big 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 boy too there, Paddy Voss. I think he's 195, 95 kegs. He's um, forward back middle kind of kind of the what we just talked about. Heath Hocking is a very physical player, like standing up for his teammates and um, can put on a, a big bump or he loves a fend off, which is
1: is uh, <laughs> great to see. All right, let's take our last break, and we'll come back to preview the game against the Lions. So we'll wrap up now with our review, uh, oh, sorry, our preview of the game against the Brisbane Lions on Sunday at one ten at the Gabba. So interstate game, Brendan. Good opportunity to. Um, Sit on the couch at home and watch it, or go to the local pub, or go down to Windy Hill or something like that to the venue and um and uh, watch the game on TV and enjoy.
0: Yeah, uh, a day game too against the Lions at the up the Gavra. It's not, not, it's a bit of a rarity there. We normally get the uh the night game there. It's real dewy and sloppy conditions. So I think even even last year there we might have had the um had their torrential rain <laughs> up at Brisbane there. So good to get a good to get a day game on a Sunday. That's right, one ten. I think uh, I think Windy Hill there the the venue have a <laughs> have a nice counter and then um watch the game. I think that's the way to go. That's it. So we'll roll through our injuries. So Tommy Cutler with his quad injury, he's three to four weeks away.
1: Uh, still Archie Perkins, we mentioned earlier in this episode, he hurt his calf um, only less than a week ago, so he's still two to three weeks off uh, from returning. Andy McGrath with his groin, he spoke before the game on the weekend and uh, indicated that he should be right to go this week. So he'll be a test, but uh, looking positive for Andy to be back in the side against the Lions. Uh, then James Stewart with his foot injury, he is uh, out indefinitely. Devin Smith recovering from his knee, out indefinitely. I Don't think we'll see Devin again this year. Michael Hurley with his hip injury. Um, this is one where there's potentially some positive news, Brendan.
0: That's right. So the AFL uh, every Tuesday release... Uh, Kind of an injury update for all the players across the competition there. And they actually have him off the injury list and uh, potentially playing uh, some football this week. Uh, So uh, there was indications probably close to a month ago from the club that he was progressing well and maybe pushing towards uh, some involvement in in main training and then into the VFL sides there. So um, if that is the case, we'll obviously get confirmation from the club. I think tomorrow is when they normally release their update with Sean Murphy there, so um, yeah, that'll be good to see. Uh, if he does get back, I'm not sure if he will play. I think it might be a couple of weeks of training and then build up some VFL form and then that's probably the way they'll do it. They, they won't want to rush him back, um, especially considering he's missed close to two years of football and <clears throat> the infection that he had in the hip was incredibly serious and the surgery that he's had to rectify that is equally serious, so yeah, um, yeah, wouldn't want to wouldn't want to rush him back for the sake of uh sake of a couple of VFL games or even a couple of games of AFL later in the season. So, uh, But if he is fit and healthy to go, it's good. And we're happy to see Hurls play. And we um, don't have a VFL game this week, so I won't play this week there. But, um, yeah, if he does get back, it'll, it'll be good to see how he goes. And then, of course, we've got uh, young Tex Langanine and Nick Cox, who are both out for the year with foot and ankle injuries, respectively. And the Brisbane's injury list uh, is not very long, but of the three players who are
1: on this list, they're three very handy players. So Darcy Gardner um, has a has a, uh, an issue with the lungs, so that's um, a bit uncommon and hopefully he's okay, but he's out for the next couple of weeks. Dane Zorko, hamstring injury, will be out for two to four weeks and Daniel Rich with a hamstring will be out for two to four weeks as well. So um, never want to see good players out like that because they're, they're absolute guns for for Brisbane um, and they're heading towards finals. But um, I guess considering that we're playing them, it kind of, it kind of helps us a little bit, uh, you know, so um, that's uh, potentially a little advantage that we've gotten out of this one. So that probably leads us into the matchups. Um, we'll start with uh, he, whose name shall not be mentioned, Joe Danaher. Um, who are we going to put on, on uh, Joe? And then the other is probably his kind of uh, compatriots up there in the forward line is Eric Hipwood and Daniel McStay. Um, so I guess the the three big key forwards that they've got up there. How do we match up against those
0: guys? Oh well, yeah, well we've, if we have got lucky unlucky with Hipwood getting off at the tribunal there as well. So he'll be in the same. There's lots of talk around Dan McStay and the potential contract there. So I think he'll be uh wanting to play a pretty good game and prove it prove his worth there. So I guess um. Earlier in the year and even last year, we sent Laverde to Danaher and I think Lav does a pretty good job, especially on those real taller plays. He's got a really, really good knack in terms of his body positioning and knows when to to impact like that. So, And the fact that he's our number one key defender, (laughs) despite the height he gives up, um, I'll be sending Lav to Danaher. I think Hipwood is probably a bit more versatile than McStay in terms of his his lateral movement and ability to get up and down the ground. And I think that's probably potentially a good matchup for Jordan Ridley, who's the same. Ridley's a really good um, leaper and can got a good spoil in there. And then maybe he can look to expose Hipwood with his kicking. And then I think uh, BZT retains his spot. I thought he did a really good job. And I think he that can be a real real win for us because I think Zerk can um, can either match McStay or even beat him. And we can have a real win. In that, in that role. And that might be a real test to see if um he can bring the form he's had in the VFL where he's been the number one key defender and uh, if he can apply that to AFL level and maybe some any spot for the rest of the year. We'll move on to some
1: midfielders now. There's a few to get here, so I might just pick off the first couple in uh, Hugh McCluggage and Jared Berry. So... Hugh McCluggage, um, most people w- would know pretty well. He went in the pick just after Andy McGrath. So he's uh, an inside outside sort of midfielder. Um, he's sort of added uh, a bit of scoreboard pressure to his uh, bag of tricks in the last year or so as well. Um, Jared Berry, he's a, he's a bit of a tough nut inside midfielder. So I guess in terms of matchups, Hugh McCluggage, um, he's a bit on the taller side, good runner. A uh, good matchup there might be Nick Martin, especially if McCluggage is playing on the wing. Um, Martin's been. Uh, able to play that role and, and hold down that post pretty well this year. So um, both got sort of silky skills and uh, good on the outside, um, good runners. So that would be quite a good matchup. Jared Berry, um, Jake Stringer, heads head with him would be pretty good. They're, they're both pretty physical beasts. And Stringer, as we saw last week, uh, although it didn't come off too many times, he likes, to, he likes to back himself in and throw his weight around and uh, push people off and, and try and bully his way through. So...
0: Um, that would be a good head-to-head matchup with Jared Berry there. Yeah, and the two other midfielders we got down here are kind of Lockie Neal and then uh, Jared Lyons there. So we all know Lockie Neal is, um, is one of the top midfielders in the comp, a low medalist, uh, smaller player but um, great pace, wins plenty of the ball inside and can use it outside. And I think we've made this comparison a number of times along the journey there, Mark. I think that um, Zach Merritt. Is actually a pretty similar player to Lachie Neal and um we, we Zach Merritt's a you know three time best and fairest winner twice all Australian and I think he's is capable of winning a brown line there. He's had said pretty good form recently he's, as recent as last week he kicked three goals. So this this might be a pure head to head Your two gun midfielders go against each other and the winner of this has a big impact on the on the scoreboard but I know last time we played Brisbane we kind of did a similar thing and they um they put Berry to merit to lock him down. So that's something we've got to keep an eye out for for this week is whether they, they go run with a tag as well and ultimately who we could have tag Neil if if that was needed. Um, and then Jared Lyons I think he's a bit really good inside mid. I think he's a clearance player. <clears throat> he's, he's he's not a not a super kick and he's a bit of a, a bit of a plotter in terms of his running. So I think a guy who can match him on the inside but major, maybe expose him for a bit of paces, especially bursting away from a contest is Dylan Shield. So um, as I think Dylan's the number one centre-bounce clearance player in the competition at the moment there. And uh, ever since the Sydney game earlier in the year, which we, we talked about earlier there, I think his tackles numbers are, are right through the roof there. So um, I would be backing Dylan in to have a pretty good game against Jared Lyons in this uh, Brisbane midfield.
1: Move on now to their forward line. So um, I'll start with the first couple here. Cam Rayner, medium-sized forward, uh, missed all of last year with a knee injury, but he's back this year. He's bulked up a bit as well. So I think Jake Kelly is a pretty good matchup size-wise. They're both pretty similar now in terms of height plus strength. Um, Kelly's got a little bit of pace with him too. It'd be, be uh, a challenge to keep up with Rayner, but uh, I think that he's got it in him to do that. Lincoln McCarthy is uh, probably you consider a small forward almost. Um, I think Nick Hind is uh, maybe a good matchup there. Lincoln McCarthy is a bit of a dangerous player. He's got a tendency to get out the back. He's good overhead uh, as well. So it would require probably a bit more of a defensive effort than maybe what Hind um, has been used to uh, doing. Uh, maybe we'll just need to control how much he runs off uh, as well. But um, yeah, McCarthy's potentially a dangerous player. He could quite comfortably kick three
0: or four goals um, just by being a smart footballer. Yeah, and the, the two other small forwards that they've got, they've got a pretty pretty good small forward crew. is Charlie Cameron and Zach Bailey. So Charlie Cameron is the, obviously their best small forward and might even be their best forward uh, there. Uh, in really good form there is Charlie. Um, I think if Andy McGrath comes back in, he'd be the one that I'd send to. Andy's obviously a leader of the football club. He's the vice-captain. He's proven in the past to be able to do a lockdown small defensive jobs. and um he'd be the one that I'd, I'd tap up first to say uh, time to stand up as a leader, go to the opposition's best forward and beat him. And then obviously with Andy's pace and his run, it can maybe create a bit for us to go the other way. And then Zach Bailey, uh, I mentioned, I think this might be a job for Massimo, I Realize In good touches, Mass. Bailey is kind of a real sparky electric player. Um, doesn't necessarily play deep, plays a bit up the ground as well, which kind of might suit Massimo as well. He's not doing so much a a lockdown job, but maybe looks to beat him to the ball and hurt him with his foot skills there. So um, I guess all, all four of those guys could kind of get rotated in any – all four of the Brisbane uh, forwards there. I like the kelly on Rayner matchup just because Kelly has the strength to maybe go with Rayner there. And, um, yeah, but I guess it's – whoever's got the hot hand, it'll be a bit of a horse for courses, I think. But that's that's where I've got it now. I'll uh, move on now to their
1: defensive area. So, Harris-Andrews, obviously, their sort of main key defender, um, particularly the Gardens out, as we said. So, Peter Wright, that's probably going to be the matchup there, is that Harris-Andrews is, uh, Harris is going to go to Peter Wright. That's a really important one. I think we have a tendency to be very Peter Wright-focused and kick to him, even if it's a two or three on one. And no doubt that's going to happen again, and Andrews is going to draw... Uh, other people to assist him in that. And he's quite a good mark himself. So if he can get in a good position, he can really create for them. So I think we've just got to be smart here. Peter Wright can definitely go with Harris Andrews and make him accountable and make him uh, and make him work for it. But uh, I think we've got to be smart and use other options. And uh, we've been able to score more in the past few weeks and, and go with other people. I think we just need to be a bit switched on with
0: that. Yeah, and I guess Peter usually has the advantage of being... 200 centimetre long arms, big leap. But Harris Andrews himself is 200 centimetres, he's got a big leap and long arms. But I guess it's it's hard to say that Peter Wright's got to do a defensive job and it's not really what we're saying, but he's really got to be mindful that he really has to compete because Harris can be that intercepting king and he can really kill us because he'll sag. If he's not switched on, Pete, Harris Andrews will sag off him and then look to intercept across our other forwards there. So he really has to either engage Harris in the contest or draw him away from contests. So it might be a game where he plays a bit of a sacrificial role at times, Peter, but uh, I think that's a real critical matchup there. And the, the next matchup there is is a player that Essen fans might, might not be so familiar with, but Keaton Coleman, he's kind of really running their half back line and giving them a lot of drive. Uh, people who remember is we actually uh, put a bid on, uh, on Keaton. Uh, he was a Brisbane NGA player. We usually put a bid on him and, Brisbane match. So he could have been someone could have had uh, kind of in our back line there. But he's um he's certainly come on in the uh, in the um years since his draft and he's a, he's a real key player for them. And if, especially with someone like Daniel Rich and uh, Dane Zorko have been kind of running off that half back line, a lot of run, carrying kicking, they're not in the side, so that'll fall to to Keaton. And I think if, if someone like a Mac who has been playing a defensive forward role can go and shut him down that really their three best runners off half back won't have an effect on the game. And that can be a real win for us in terms of getting four points. So we'll move on to uh, finishing up here with
1: the ins and outs. Um, I guess the obvious one is that we mentioned that Andy McGrath's likely to come back into the side and he's been playing in a, in a defensive position, um, you know, this year, which which has really suited him, I think, and, um, and has been a better role than full-time midfield. Uh, we've already slated him to play on Charlie Cameron. I guess who makes way for Andy McGrath to come into the side? It's really hard after having a good win and, um, and no injuries as well, which is a positive. So I guess Andy McGrath comes in, someone's unfortunately going to have to make way. Um, I'm not sure who that is. Uh, if you look, you know, if you're bringing in a backwind, then you're probably going to take a backwind out. Massimo has just been given the Rising Star nomination. It would be pretty tough to take him out. Um, BZT has just played probably his career breakout game. Kelly has been in great form the last sort of two weeks, three weeks. He's he's uh, really stepped up another gear after the halfway point of the season. Um, then you've got Laverde and Rid- Ridley down there as well. So um, Nick Hynde's been in some good form lately as well. So it's going to be a really tough call about who... Who comes out of the side, and, and maybe it's not one of those guys that we've just listed. Maybe it's uh,
0: maybe it's someone in another position on the ground. So I think the three potential players in the gun are going to be, as you mentioned, Massimo, and I think that's a classic Essington thing to do: is to uh, to drop a young fella after some good form and just absolutely kill their confidence. So I wouldn't put it past the, <laughs> the match committee to do that because we have a history of doing dumb things like that. Then um, the two other players are probably Benny Hobbs, who, again, he's had a rising star not too long ago. That last quarter is probably the best quarter of football he's played in his career so far. Uh, so that's another Essington dumb decision to do. Uh, and then uh, Matt Guelphie, who we've just said he's played a really important role on <laughs> on Keaton Coleman, who, and he's been playing some pretty good football this year, Guelph. Uh, but, again, you're going to bring him in. Guelph is playing forward, but you're bringing him a backman. You know, Hobbs, is playing forward in the middle, but you're bringing in a backman. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess crystal balling, what I think they'll do is I think that Hobbs will will miss because they did drop Hobbs last week. The indication was that they were going to play him as a sub because they wanted to freshen him up, even though – Makes no sense because you can get played on the first minute as a sub, but we did that last year with with Nick Cox, and same thing happened. So at least they're consistent in the way that they, are, they apply their thinking. So I think maybe Hobbsy is in like last man in, first man out. That might be the play, but geez, I don't know. It's a, it's it's a it's a tough call there, Mark. What do you what do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I think
1: I, I would really. I really hope they don't do it to Massimo. I think that would be pretty gutting for someone who's just been, played their best game and it um, and oh, hasn't yeah. put a foot wrong. Uh, and he really offers us something. He's, um, his skills off halfback and his creativity is something that we've been crying for. And um, in three games, he's managed to show a fair few examples of that. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. It's probably going to be Ben Hobbs and how they
0: structured the team around that. I'm not, not 100% sure. What about one from left field, and Will Snelling? Will looks like he's been a bit a bit short of a run. They only they brought him back after less than a full game in the VFL. I think he's played what two games at AFL level now, and I think he's still he's still looking a bit rusty. There's no no VFL football this week, so maybe look, the week off they can just get some k's into his legs without the risk of of injury, and um, he's one to come in there maybe. You know, Will finished third in a crying medal last year, and I want him in the side. But I think you know, could could there be potential for that? I'm I'm not sure. I'm just trying of thinking, thinking out of the box here. There's not really anybody else obvious you would drop. Would, would you say? You maybe just go old school market. Say who was the worst player last week, and you drop him. In that case, it's probably. Jake Stringer for ninety five percent of the game, <laughs> but you wouldn't be dropping Jakey, would you? <laughs> uh,
1: no, I don't think I would be. I, yeah, Will Snelling maybe, maybe just yeah, get some more K's into the league at the VFL level and get a bit more touch. I, I don't think he would be opposed to that either. Um, you know, obviously, no player wants to go out of the side, but I feel like he's a guy who would understand that and go away and do that to to better himself. Um, the only other one that I'm thinking, this one doesn't really work because it's not like for like and very hard structurally to fix, but you talk about who kind of didn't have a great game on the weekend. I'm This might be a bit controversial, but what about Harry Jones? Didn't play particularly well. Structurally, it doesn't work that well because it leaves probably Peter Wright a bit exposed. Um, you know, if we're playing two Ruckman, maybe that would work a bit better because we could fill the hole that way. But if you're just going purely on form, even if even if we're going to take Harry Jones out and put a Kane Baldwin in or something, um, do we need to cycle players through who are maybe lacking
0: form over multiple weeks, or do we back them in? Look, I don't mind that idea. Andy Phillips didn't play last week and was the sub. You know, maybe he he's he's normally got a trend of being really good first game back in the side. Does Phillips? So maybe that he has played a bit of forward before. I think with Harry, he kicked a goal last week, but he wasn't <clears throat> wasn't outstanding. I think. And especially with no VFL next week, there's not what you just you're dropping him for you know, for him to just to run around on the track at Taylor Marine, right? So are we better off kind of just getting games into him, especially the years we're not pushing finals, just get an extra five, six games into young players in preparation for next year. Um I'd play him there. It's just yeah, maybe I'm, I'm not sure, but if you were to drop him, if you if you dropped Jones and brought in Baldwin, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Right, or you'll only you say, "I oh, know we really do need a second ruck to help Drape," because we mentioned Drape's been had a rough month. Um, he's advantaged by the fact that he's really the, the senior ruckman in the side. Uh, but if Phillips came in and helped him out, that wouldn't be the worst idea. But again, that doesn't help us get <laughs> McGrath back in the side, does it? So. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see what they do and to a broader point, Mark, I think it's, it's it's a good sign that we're actually starting to have these issues in terms of which players do we pick and then hopefully next year when we've got a fit Perko, we've got a fit Cox and, and Reedy's ready to go, I would think those three are at best 18. Well, I would have in my best 18 so all of a sudden there's three blokes in the side we've got to put in that we don't have now. And who knows, Kane Baldwin can have a big summer. I really like what Kane's done going back to VFL level and really playing against men, getting some continuity after missing two years with a knee. So um, he's one for the future. Then we talk about might have pick three. Whoever pick three is, I think, is going to be a pretty handy player. We're going to have uh, Alwyn Jr. and Jaden Davey. Um, they might be pretty good players, especially uh, Alwyn Jr. There he's talked about as being a potential First round pick and and Jaden whilst having done the two knees is there's lots of talk who's actually the better of the two of the two boys there plus you know there's lots of talk at the moment we've got two million dollars in cap space what does that mean do we bring in more players there do we bring in a big free agent or do we bring in you know players like look there's lots of talk Peter writes on five hundred thousand dollars that was the big thing like oh. Yeah, give, give me four Peter Wrights. Be, <laughs> I'd love that, you know. So, um, yeah. and uh, It is interesting to see come round one next year where we we're at and maybe for these last six weeks do we kind of have an eye out for that in building. I mentioned before about maybe prioritising Aaron Francis in terms of finally making a decision on a bloke on who what we think going to form him. Just backing in BZT for the rest of the year. To say, hey, are you gonna be a player for us going forward? That, maybe those types of questions is kind of where the their the focus has got to be at match committee. Yeah, definitely some
1: uh some valid points there, that's for sure. Okay, well I think that wraps us up for this episode, uh Brendan. So it's been been a big week. Uh we obviously have the, the separate episode which covered the VFL girls um and we're hopefully we can continue some form into this um into this Brisbane game. And uh, you mentioned pick three in that last category. And um, I found myself looking at the ladder and looking at who the Hawks and Adelaide are playing lately, just to make sure that as good as, as good as the, our form turns that they might be able to just keep ahead of us. Cause uh, once you're down this end, you may as well make the most of it
0: and take, take the best available talent that you've got at the end of the year. Yeah. Well, look, we're, we're just on that we're on similar, similar wins to the Hawks there. And, as much as it probably benefits us to finish think that, well, what's the difference between pick three and pick four, really, Mark? <laughs> oh, I'd love to finish on top of Hawthorne. and um, yeah, really, really rub that in, especially finishing uh, with the first game in the AFLW against the Hawks there too. It'd be really good to have uh, have multiple wins against the Hawks. We beat them after they were in front. We beat them at the end of the year, and we beat them in the AFLW to be um beat them in the VFLW in the in the big final there as well. So it'd be really good to have. Four or five wins against the Hawks and really uh, stick it up uh, their, that club and their supporters and uh, the bloke that coaches them as well. That'd be uh, good to stick it up in.
1: There's probably not a lot I could add to that, so I'm Thank just going to say, go the Dons,
0: go Bombers.